This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. Representative Jamie Raskin is serving in just his third term in Congress, but he has already secured a significant spot in history. A Washington, D.C. native and constitutional law scholar, the Maryland Democrat has been at the center of debates regarding both impeachments of Donald Trump, including a stint as the lead impeachment manager at the former president's second Senate trial. He's also a member of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, the event that led to Trump's second impeachment. He has also suffered a terrible blow with the death of his son, Tommy, just days before the assault on the Capitol. The confluence of those events come together in the MSNBC documentary, Love and the Constitution, by director Madeline Carter. Congressman Raskin and the director join us in this episode of Political Theater to discuss their film, which follows him over the course of three plus years. Congressman, director, both D.C. natives, uh, I have learned at the beginning of this uh, podcast, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And let's uh, just start at the beginning. Uh, how did this project uh, come into, into being? Uh, you, you, uh, you've both known each other uh, uh, before this project, but where, where did the discussion start and what was the, uh, where, was, where did the interest come from and where did, how did you get the sort of the wheels going on, uh, on this documentary? I'll, I guess I'll start, which is, um, so Jamie became my congressman in 2018. Oh, well, he, he and, and Trump were sworn in together January Sorry, 17. Oh, January excuse me, 17. 17, right. Yeah. They were both sworn in together um, same month. So suddenly Jamie became my congressman and he immediately was a Trump gadfly. And of course, he was also on the House Judiciary Committee. So I um, approached him saying that I... I'd like to make a film about him. I assumed that the Mueller report would be released um, sometime in the, well, would be made public at some point in the fall of 2018. So I approached Jamie because I wanted, to, I assumed the Mueller report would lead to Trump's being impeached by the House Judiciary Committee. So I, I approached Jamie and said, I'd love to f- do a film about him and Donald Trump. And he said no for months and months. <laughs> but was she, but she kept hounding you, Congressman. Uh, what what was the uh, what was the thing that made you want to uh, basically be followed around by somebody with a camera and a microphone for years? <laughs> well, the, that was the part that um, I resisted with all of my might, um, just because you know there's the private public thing. You want to have a realm of personal life that is just off limits where you're not being watched all the time. You're not being recorded. And um, if somebody proposes filming you all the time, it it, uh, concentrates your mind on certain um, insecurities you might have. I mean, I don't you know, some of this is actually captured on film where, you know, I've always been described as kind of a disheveled, messy person. And so I, during the film, uh, I made an effort to try to 
you know, look more cleaned up and so on because I didn't you, want you to. You were a professor. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. And you can take the professor out of the classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the professor. But anyway, no, but the, it was really the stakes of the struggle that we were in and that we are in with right-wing authoritarianism and fascism in the country that made me say, okay, after several months, I said, okay, fine, let's do it. I tried to convince Mads that there were some other films that she could be making instead, and I ventured some other ideas. But she kept coming back to wanting to focus on Trump and then focus on my experience. And I, I think I did say this is going to be a very long film because it's going to be a long time before this thing finally comes to a head. And I, I can't help but think, I mean, like there, you, you mentioned as sort of right wing authoritarianism and authoritarian tendencies sort of take hold, uh, intimidation of public uh, figures. This is all this is ha- happening when you're agreeing this before thousands of people storm the Capitol, uh, you know, trying to stop a free and fair election certification. Um, so you, there, there's that concern about your own safety and the safety of your uh, of your family. Um, you know, this is uh, much, not that it's abstract for anybody in Congress, but it's much less abstract for you because you have to drive down North Capitol Street to get to work. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're not just here on a, you know, in a crash pad uh, and then fly back to Nebraska, uh, you know, on, on Thursday night or Friday morning. That could certainly bring up a hesitancy I, I could see about participating in this, making yourself a target, making your, your family a target. Um, and then this was before the tragedy of, of your son's death. Was there ever a part where either one of you said, maybe we should pause this? Well, I know, I mean, I'll, I can just speak to um, when Tommy died, because there, there, were, there, was a, there were a number of moments uh, over the course of filming this film where I felt that, um, you know, I, I, it's very tough being a documentarian because uh, some, it's, sometimes you feel you're exploiting the other person. And I was very worried about that right around the time when Tommy died. And I, um, I didn't want to seem like I didn't want to come in there with my camera and see and seem or be exploitative. So I really stayed away. I stayed away and just waited until um, I saw that Jamie was starting to talk to the press. Yeah, Congressman, uh, the I mean, the events, you know, of January 6th in particular just were this this real fulcrum for the country uh, and, and for for those of us, you know, especially who live in Washington, who work in the Capitol, who cover Congress uh, and, and so forth. I mean, talk about balancing the significance of this moment in history with just trying to get through the day of, of your own loss. Uh, I mean, like, I, I feel like the, the country as a whole is still grappling with just what we've been through over the last few years, but you also, you know, have this personal angle to it. I mean, how did, how did you balance those two? I mean, I know you, you, you have dogs that look awesome and you, you walk the dogs a lot. Uh, but like, you know, what was, talk about that balance that you had to strike in your life. Well, we had, um, we'd had Tommy's graveside service on January the 5th, um, which was, you know, just crushingly, excruciatingly sad day. It was a cold day with kind of like a just a bitter rain to it. And it was just a really uh, very agonizing day for our family. And then, you know, the 
the girls, Tabitha and Hannah, had been urging me not to go on January 6th. And I explained, like, this was a constitutional order, essentially, to go in and count the electoral votes. But I invited them and anybody from the family who wanted to come. And so Tabitha, who's our youngest daughter, took me up on it. And Hank, who's my our son-in-law, who's married to our daughter, Hannah, he decided to come too. And so the two of them came. And um, so, you know, I, I mean, the reason I wrote a book about it, in addition to everything else going on here, is just because the emotions and the feelings were so complex. And it was such a extraordinary confluence of traumas um, and tragedies. And, um, <clears throat> but I, I was f first and foremost and overwhelmingly concerned about Tabitha and Hank. And as I record in my book, I really experienced no fear for myself that day because I was walking around with the sensation that the very worst thing that could ever happen to us had already happened. Um, so yeah, I guess it really wasn't like a feeling of balancing things. I, I was kind of um, in a state of shock. Uh, I wasn't really eating, I wasn't really sleeping, um, but I did feel Tommy with me in my heart, in my chest very much. And I knew we had to go forward and it, there was no choice about being there. I mean, we have such a slender majority and we knew that that the Republicans were going to do everything in their power to overturn the election. And there were a lot of members who were not showing up because of COVID-19. They were getting sick or members of their family were getting sick. I mean, our margin was razor thin. I mean, we're talking about a handful of members. And I live closer to the Capitol, as you were saying, than basically any other member of Congress, um, except for the non-voting delegate, Eleanor Holmes Morton. But so I just knew I had to be there. And I felt a sense of obligation and responsibility. And I felt I was doing something that Tommy would be proud of, you know, that we were hanging tough for democracy in the face of these odds, but the whole thing would have broken his heart all over again. You know? And I just, as a, as a documentarian, I mean, um, Jamie never used to, I mean, I followed him obviously for three years. He never used to put a hand on his heart and uh, after Tommy died, um, it's a new thing I've noticed him doing. He puts a hand on his heart. It's kind of like just I, 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 I interpret it, Jamie, as you're kind of like checking in with Tommy or noticing that Tommy's with you internally. But it, it is a new thing that you've started to do. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that, but people have told me that. And I noticed that in some of the the footage from January 6th, when I was speaking to the members that I had my hand on my heart. And, and then, you know, after, after January 6th, um, after the impeachment, the, 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 the second impeachment process went uh, um, into, into like motion, you were tapped to be the lead impeachment, you know, manager, uh, Congressman. And in the film, you know, you described this as, you know, even though you were just shattered uh, in, in grief that this was Speaker Pelosi throwing you a lifeline. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I was a wreck. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I, 
you know, I didn't know whether I would ever be able to do anything again that would be meaningful in my career, that, you know, whether I could be of use to other people. And um, I mean, it was a state of just utter bafflement and devastation, basically. And um, I just kind of picture her reaching, reaching down to me and saying, you know, get up, we need you. We really need you. And Madeline was, I mean, so much of the footage, you know, that we have have sort of seen over and over again, you know, we there was even more of it uh, that that Congressman Raskin and his team brought to the Senate trial. Uh, you've got some of the footage there in, in your film. I mean, it's really just when you think it can't get any worse. I mean, you see, you know, some of the, the real uh, violent episodes that uh, the networks, you know, either didn't have access to or didn't want to touch. Uh, on that day, how what was the process of just sorting through this? Because I mean, you as as much of your uh, you you have a lot of original footage uh, of the congressman and his family and 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 very you know sort of intimate moments uh, with them. But then you also have uh, a lot of you know surveillance camera footage to go through. What was that like? I mean, how complicated was that to just go through all that stuff? Because there were just you know this was when some of my colleagues you know who have you know been confronted by people uh, saying like, oh, this was fake and the false flag and Antifa and all the kind of stuff. And one of my colleagues, Tom Williams, says like, dude, this is the most documented thing in history. Like, how, how do you go through, how do you go through all that? How do you, how do you make sense of that? Because you only have an hour and a half to fit it all in. <laughs> well, one, um, one thing is I actually was um, out and about filming on January 6th myself. So I oh. started out filming, I started out filming uh, the crowds that were, um, down by the White House, and um, and then I, uh, I Trump was when Trump while well, Trump was still speaking, and then I headed up to Capitol Hill, and I went to the west side of the Capitol, the east. Excuse me, I was on the east right. side of the Capitol, which is the opposite side F- of where facing the, the Supreme Court. Right? Yeah. yeah, so I was I was on the east side, and just filming, and there were just weird people around, and I, I wear kind of like a red wool hat. Um, with a flower on it to sort of try to blend in a bit. And um, so I was just filming the crowds and the oddballs and they're all in weird costumes and stuff like that. Um, Fascism be- cosplay, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I it was boring. So at about um, one o'clock while just towards the end of Trump's speech, and I could hear it because the crowd was all listening to Trump's speech on um radios and iPhones and stuff. So you could hear Trump's speech. And um, I left, I, I, I headed home at a right around one because um, I felt like, well, I gotten all the footage I can get of weird people. And um, so anyway, I went home and then I saw what I had missed. So I really, I, I, I kick myself now, but in terms of um, how to handle all the footage. So the way I decided to do it is that um in the film, when we're on, when we're dealing with January six in the film, we only showed footage of January six from from Jamie's perspective, what what he would have experienced that day. So it was all kind of inside the Capitol, and then um, we saved all of the exterior footage uh, of January six uh, for later in the film when Jamie um, actually shows video in in the trial and and we actually show the same bit of video in the trial that Jamie 
used. So in my film, you don't see uh, you don't see any of the crazy uh, crowd stuff from the exterior until Jamie shows it in the trial, because that's actually how most of Congress experienced it. They, they, they did not, the people in the building didn't really weren't aware of how awful it was until Jamie showed that video in the trial. In most people's experience of it was of, of hearing about it, people calling them, people yelling that they had to get out, people running to get out. You could hear some people chanting, we want Trump or hang Mike Pence. Um, but it was bits and pieces. And um, I could see when uh, we were up in front of the Senate on the first day of trial when we showed the 13-minute video that we did to introduce them to what had happened, uh, looks of utter horror and shock uh, the, across, across the aisle. Now, there were, of course, a handful of people who just wouldn't look at it, like Ted Cruz wouldn't look, Holly would not look, uh, but McConnell looked absolutely petrified and mortified by what he was seeing. But none of us on the inside had a sense of the absolute mayhem and bloodshed that were taking place outside the building as these waves of medieval mobs advanced upon the officers and were swinging baseball bats and hockey sticks and Confederate battle flags and Trump flags and just ruthlessly assaulting and torturing our officers, with 150 of them ending up with broken noses, jaws, necks, vertebrae, traumatic brain injuries, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and so on. Um, and so, and just as people um, didn't have, it, you know, even a glimmering sense of what was taking place outside, most people did not understand the way that there was a complete plan in place to try to steal the presidential election, to try to overthrow Joe Biden's majority in the Electoral College. And so that was the burden of our trial, as I think it is also the burden today of uh, the select committee to explain to people what went into this. This was not some kind of uh, eruption of a little enthusiastic feeling, much less was it what Donald Trump says, which, is, which was you know his supporters greeting officers with hugs and kisses. There's this Orwellian effort to sanitize the whole thing. But there was nothing accidental or improvised at all about what took place. No, and, and you know, we're seeing, you know, some of the after effects, you know, continuing to reverberate too, like with the, with the sort of the Republican apostates being punished. You know, the, I mean, beyond just, you know, Trump likes to call Mitch McConnell names, which I don't think really bothers McConnell. But, you know, Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik, the, you know, the number one and number three Republican leaders in the House, I've endorsed Liz Cheney's uh, primary opponent. Uh, Liz Cheney, of course, is your colleague on the House Select Committee, and she has been fairly steadfast and direct about saying, no, this is unacceptable. This was trying to overturn an election. And her reward for that is, um, you know, I'm guessing she doesn't even go to conference meetings anymore. Um, and well, history will remember them as great constitutional patriots for what they're doing because you know, had they not stood up, had 10 Republicans in the House not stood up, had seven Republicans in the Senate not stood up, um, they would be able to say that the whole thing is partisan. They can't say that now. They cannot, with a straight face, claim that it's a partisan thing when you have the former chair of the Republican conference, Liz Cheney, who is the number three ranking 
uh, House Republican. And Dick Cheney's daughter, not exactly, uh, (laughs) you know, some sort of lib, right? (laughs) Blowing the whistle on what was essentially a fascist plot to to drive uh, Biden's vote totals uh, down to below 270 from 306 to below 270 and then kicking the whole contest into the House of Representatives for a contingent election under the 12th Amendment. And they the reason they wanted it in Pelosi's chamber is they knew that under the 12th Amendment, we don't vote one member, one vote. We vote one state, one vote. They had 27 states. We have 22 states. Today, Pennsylvania was split down the middle. And even had they suffered the defection of Liz Cheney, the outlawed rep from Wyoming, it still would have left them with 26 votes. And a majority, they would have run it like the Republican convention, declared Donald Trump the new president. He would have seized the presidency and he probably would have followed Michael Flynn, his disgraced national security advisor's advice, and uh, invoked the Insurrection Act and declared martial law and called in the National Guard to put down all of the insurrectionary mayhem and chaos that he had unleashed against us. It's it, it's weird to still be thinking about how close we were to losing the um, you know democracy that day, and and also it it almost in a way it necessarily minimizes what came before, which was quite significant too. I mean, the rule of law was frequently disregarded uh, in in the previous administration. Um, Congressman, if you're if you're encountering your younger self, say the you know the the, uh, the the one that you know first walked into an American university, you know uh, law class uh, and to, to teach uh, as as you are now, and you and you tell that <laughs> that younger self, that younger version of yourself, what's about, what's going to happen uh, in the last few years? Do you do you think your younger self even believes it? Can can even fathom it? Where how far we've gone? Well, like most people, I think I've had to radically revise my views about what we think American exceptionalism is. We are not exceptional because we're somehow immune to fascism or authoritarianism or resurgent racism and nativism and anti-Semitism and all of the monsters of the 20th century. That's not what makes us exceptional. What makes us exceptional is the fact that we're a country that even with our profound flaws and limitations at the beginning, even with all the deformities of the experiment, Jefferson had proclaimed the values and the principles in the declaration of the consent of the governed and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and all of us being created equal, that future successive generations of Americans could come to hold up in order to struggle to make us a more perfect union. And you can read all of the constitutional amendments we've had since the original Bill of Rights as a dramatic, steady expansion of the idea of democracy. So we we get rid of race discrimination in voting in the 15th Amendment. We get rid of gender exclusion with women's suffrage in the 19th Amendment. In the 17th Amendment, we get rid of state legislators uh, selecting U.S. senators, and the people are allowed to do it. And 23rd Amendment gave people in D.C., the right to participate in presidential elections, 24th Amendment abolished poll taxes, 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18. So the whole trajectory and direction of American democracy is towards a a recognition of everybody's inclusion, everybody's somebodiness, as Dr. King said. But Tocqueville 
wrote in Democracy in America that voting rights in democracy in our country are either always shrinking, shriveling away, or expanding and growing. And we've been in a shrinking, shriveling, contractionary mode. And there's been this assault on voting rights. And we've got to get back on the democracy high road. And we have states that need to be admitted that uh, where millions of people are excluded from participation. We have right the right to vote, which is being trampled in so many places uh, that we need to vindicate. We've got to deal with the problem of gerrymandering. We've got to deal with the problem of the filibuster, the voter suppression statutes. None of those things are in the Constitution. You know, that's a bag of tricks that one party, sadly Lincoln's party, which has now become Trump's party, um, is imposing against everybody else. And, you know, what's at stake now is the will of the majority, because the vast majority of the people reject Trumpism and that kind of authoritarianism. Hillary beat him by three million votes. Uh, Joe Biden beat him by seven and a half million votes. All of the demographics are on the side of the Democratic Party, the Democracy Party. Uh, And yet they do have control over a lot of levers of political power. Madeline, that's a, a, a whole host of issues that could be another documentary. Um, what, what's your, what are your future plans entail? Um, are, you, are you forever linked to, uh, to, your, to your friend and, and colleague here? Because that's, uh, he's, no, he's, he's still, you know, still going to be involved you know, for quite a while with this January 6th committee, too. I, um, you know, it's interesting. I regret that, um, in some ways, I regret stopping the film where I did, because of course uh, I'm fascinated by what the January 6th select committee is doing. So I, I would love to have continued, but um, after three years, I find I needed to end. Um, but no, I, I mean, there are two issues for me that um, will drive my future projects. And those are, I, I consider them both existential issues. One is the future of constitutional democracy in the United States. And the other is climate change. So my, those are existential issues for me, and those are, the, those are the two topics that I plan to focus on. I would love to make a film. Uh, you know, I, think, I think, to me, Liz Cheney is actually a hero of constitutional democracy, and I'm very impressed by her and would absolutely love to make a film about her, actually. Congressman, uh... I, I couldn't help but note, uh, you know, how, how often you uh, reference Shakespeare, Voltaire, uh, and so forth as a, as a former literature uh, major, a recovering college instructor. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I certainly appreciate that. Is that some of also what helps you frame, you know, for, for your colleagues and for yourself uh, where we're at in history with these kind of events? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think... Um, it's been known for a long time that um, a basic knowledge of history and maybe literature um, operates as an antidote to fanaticism. Um, I mean, you look at one of my colleagues like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, you know, she evinces no consciousness of history or literature or the world that we're in. It's as if hey, she's a member of a religious cult and somebody is just telling her what to go and say and do every single day. That's a scary thing for a democracy. I mean, the framers of our constitution knew how essential education would be 
if we're going to have real self-government. Madison said, those who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power that knowledge gives. And that's just so right. So, um, um, so yeah, I do talk about history a lot. And Lincoln, of course, has been on my mind a lot since he was, you know, the great architect of trying to forge and defend union, even through traumatic polarization and division. Also, sometimes it's just funny, like when you referenced uh, Bill Barr as the uh, um, as being like one of the witches uh, uh, doing the doing Macbeth uh, through the, it's like the witch's version of, of Macbeth. <laughs> so um, it's uh, I, I as I said, uh, I, I might be in the small minority of uh, um, of literature uh, uh, folks out, out there, but I, I certainly well. Don't. Let's let's hope that's not true. <laughs> let's hope that's not true. Um, Madeline Carter, uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, thank you so much uh, for your time and, and talking about this uh, th- this movie. This is, uh, I think, a, you know, a, a pretty important document, and and I, you know, it, it's certainly one that has a a, a real, um, you know, a different take on it, and the and the personal when it reflecting, you know, the, the personal journey of, of Congressman Raskin as well as the the political one. So. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us.